Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right, everybody. Settle down. Settle down. Hi, guys. We're back again for another week. As you can tell by that lovely round of applause that, you know, we give ourselves every week. <laughs> We're Whiskey and Wonder. I'm Tyler. And I'm Megan. You saw that pop up on the screen if you are on YouTube. If not, now you know. Yes. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say this is a uh, podcast where every week Tyler and I get together and we review whiskey and we teach the others something that has made us wonder. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're back another week here, ready to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll just dive right in on that note, I guess. And um, sorry if I seem a little distracted at certain points today. I'm messing with some stuff behind the scenes. Um, so announcements, we have, uh, we mentioned the infinity bottles mm. a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're, I think we're going to probably start with just bourbon and scotch. Uh, so we'll have a bottle for each because they probably in, in our, our experience trying, uh, a couple of mixtures, they don't mix that well. So, <laughs> so we're going to try to mix scotches and bourbons in their individual infinity bottles. Um, we are going to let our patrons on Patreon vote. We'll put up a poll there. So you can head over there and subscribe for five bucks a month, and that'll get you access to uh, the episodes early on Mondays, as well as the ability to vote, and it'll get you access to Megan's blog um, whenever, you know, whenever she decides to make <laughs> posts and whatnot. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, that came out like I'm throwing shade. I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> that It's her blog. She can. It felt kind of shady. It. Sorry. She runs it. However, <laughs> however she sees fit. I didn't mean that to come out as if I'm throwing shade. <laughs> um, if you want, uh, go to whiskeyandwonder.com and check out the store where we have uh, glasses with the logos. Uh, if you would like to have that to drink your whiskey out of or to drink your other liquids. Um, I have buttons for this on YouTube. Oops. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, the social media stuff is popping up on YouTube. If not, check us out at whiskeyandwonder.com. Uh, you can search us on YouTube. We're there. Please like, and subscribe and comment. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. It goes a long way. Yes. Uh, so to much. Getting us views. Um, you can also find us, uh, the Patreon I mentioned earlier is patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. Uh, Instagram is at whiskey podcast and email us at contact at whiskey and because we want to hear from you. Like I said, uh, all the other social medias and stuff is going to be in the show notes down below or it popped up on the screen. So that's that. Um, and to our lovely patrons and donators we really appreciate you guys you make definitely, this happen definitely <laughs> especially especially this time of year when the damn government needs its chunk of money for us being a business so that's ridiculous but is what it is it keeps us going it keeps the whiskey flowing in and it keeps the uh you know fun stuff like the infinity bottles we're trying to reinvest this into the into the business and into providing content for you guys so 
if definitely like, for sure. If you like what we're doing, let us know. Um, help us out, and definitely help us out by liking, subscribing, rating, uh, rating the episodes. It helps us get views, which helps us get advertisers, which helps us do more creative and cool shit. So, but thank you guys all for your support. And this week we're going to do them in the right order. And I just want to point out, I did hit the buttons correctly. We just did the, did wrong, the wrong thing segment last week. So, Whoops. uh, yeah. So we're going to jump into the open segment now, unless Megan has anything else to say. All right. Open segment. All right. Well, Megan. Tyler. How's your week been? Well, uh, as you saw when I walked in, uh, Navia, my dog, has a cone on her head. Cone head. Yep. Cone of shame. Uh, took her in on Monday to have her teeth cleaned. Um, and while she was under, I went ahead and had the dog, the dog, <laughs> the doctor remove some little old lady, black dog, lumpy, bumpy things she had on her. Um, and they were all like just little melanin deposits. Um, totally harmless, uh, but better safe than sorry. So went ahead and had those removed. And so she has stitches in her arm where there was a tiny little one that was just a little too deep to be cauterized. Um, and she has been mad at me all week because of it and has wanted every person she knows to take the cone off. So she like goes up to him and looks as sad as she can. Yep. She did it to me. So, so please take it off. Uh, so she's in that cone for three or four more days. Um, and then we'll get the stitches removed and she can be a free dog once again. But that's probably the most eventful thing. I'm, no, it's not. Ah, I am dumb person. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, that's not the most eventful thing of my week, guys. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before or not, but Houston and I have been desperately, miserably searching for a house since about September. And this market is literal insanity, insanity. Like I, like houses we want to look at are literally getting bought sight unseen with cash over asking price um, by all these investors and corporations that are buying them to then turn around and rent them out. Um, And it's so upsetting and it's criminal. Um, And they, I hope they do something to make it so corporations cannot do this anymore because that's been our luck. Um, Until this week, we, uh, looked down a path we hadn't really thought of before. Um, and we think we have a plan in place. Um, we now are just looking for a lot of land and we're just going to build. And we, uh, met up with a specific builder, um, and got like an estimated price and everything. So it's going to be in our price range. Um, and a lot better quality than what we would get trying to buy a house on this market. So um, we just need to find a little like lot of land in a residential area and 
then uh, we have our construction process ready to get started. So, well, congratulations. I hope it goes as smoothly as it can. I know right now there's been a little hiccups with supply chains and whatnot. So, you know, keep that in mind yes. when you planning your timetables and whatnot. But yes. yeah, congratulations to you guys. I hope it works out. Thank you. As quickly and smoothly as possible for sure. Thank you. Um, I know you guys have been hunting for a long time there and it seemed like you kind of gave up but just because of the way the market was and just the situation and I get that completely. Um it's it's an overwhelming market right now. I'd be lying if I said yeah. I just bought my house in 2020 right after the pandemic started and I'm already like mm, I might want to sell this thing and make this money. Yeah, I'm sure this is what probably, oh, well, it's probably several. My house has easily gone up anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 in two years. Jesus. Yeah, and that doesn't count the improvements I've made to it. Wow. Yeah, that's just purely, you know, you get the letters in the mail and it, they say, we'll buy your house cash. All you got to do is take a couple pictures and we'll give you within this range. I'm sure there's some disclaimer on there. Oh, but, yeah. But, yeah, so I've thought awfully hard about selling this place. But, I mean, what am I going to do? Put that money, piss it away right back into an apartment? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. So, um, so is that the, is that how you want to end your I mean, yeah, that that's that, definitely the biggest news of the okay. week. <laughs> uh, uh, so send, send us good luck and good vibes and prayers or whatever deity you speak to. Talk to them for us. Uh, help us find some land. And if you're in uh, the North Carolina area and you know of some land up for grabs, uh, send it our way, please. Absolutely. Um I mean, I know some land, but there's a house already on it. It, you know, it's kind of in the middle of my front yard and backyard. But you know, there is some <laughs> land there. <laughs> um, what size house are you guys looking to build? I'm curious. I know at one point you guys were talking about a really, really, really tiny home. So I'm um, curious if you're still thinking about something like that or what. We're looking at no bigger than 1,500 square okay. feet, um, but we're not. Doing the tiny home route yeah. yet, I don't think. Okay. Um, just, I want more animals than a tiny home will allow us to have. Just for reference, this is like just under 1,300. Mm-hmm. And I have an unfinished room above the garage. That doesn't count the garage. That adds about 300 mm. square feet. So just just to give you yeah. a bit of reference. Um, so not bad. No. Not bad for two people. No, not at all. Um, well, I guess I'll I'll jump in uh, and talk about my week. And yeah, it's just been a long week. It's been stressful. It's been, I'm exhausted. It's Sunday evening and I have to turn around and go to work tomorrow morning at 5.30. And I don't feel like I've gotten a break. It's been go, go, go. I had... I'm doing, uh, we, we we had a member, we lost a member of our team at work, and I've picked up a lot of that slack. Oof. Um, you know, that's been going on for a couple of weeks. My boss has been very supportive, very like, let me know if you're overwhelmed, and nobody wants to go to their boss and say, hey, look, I'm overwhelmed. 
you know? So yeah. I've been making it work, but it's been stressful. It's been hectic planning and, and, you know, I know they're working on getting somebody, getting somebody in, but, uh, Friday, Fridays as it, uh, as it is, Fridays are already stressful because I work at the bar Friday nights. And so I have to drive an hour home from work, turn around, you know, just to let the dog out essentially, and then drive 30 minutes to work, work and I literally pass it on the way home. Mm. So it can be a little hectic because uh, I literally have an hour and a half to make that happen. And it takes every that, minute of that. basically. Yeah. There's no relaxed time in there at all. Yeah. So um, Friday, it just happened that my team of four, which is down to three, it, the other two members both had, uh, had the day off for various reasons and, and so that left me to you by yourself. Cover. Yeah. And not that I had to cover their work necessarily, but they each do uh, a task in the morning and a task in the afternoon. Uh, just basically looking at some data we get in and making sure everything's right. And it, it, I've done it. I know how to do it. I'm just not as used to it and adept to it. So it takes me longer. And I just had so much other stuff to do on Friday. Um, I ended up not leaving work till almost 4:30 and somehow I managed to <laughs> speed demon my way and make it make it to the bar on time um and then we had a good night at the bar which was first time in a long time well that's um, good yeah behind the bar uh so we had a good night it was it was really enjoyable um and I had my day planned out Saturday I was going to uh, right up to, I don't know, about 45 minutes away to a specific store that I've, I needed uh, something from and get it. Come home, cut my grass. Shelby got me a, um, like a, a robotic vacuum, but a lawnmower. <gasps> I've seen those. Yeah. And so, it, but it's time intensive to set it up. It's going to take like, at least two, maybe three or four hours to set it up because you have to put like a track around your yard that it'll, it's like the boundary. Okay. And so it's just going to take some time to set it up. And I haven't had time. I didn't have time at the uh, last year when I got it. Um, so I was planning on setting that up and cutting my grass uh, or cutting the grass and then setting that up so that because my grass is wrecked right now. <laughs> Or it's it was. only mild foresty, or it was yeah. only mild foresty. Um. Anyway, I got a call. I was getting up Saturday morning. Uh, first thing I had to do was go to Shelby's house. She was meeting somebody was coming to her house uh, to buy something off Facebook Marketplace, and I was going to. She was just kind of sketched out by the dude. So you were going to go yeah. and be there and like stand there, like mm. yeah, just yeah. yeah, I get that. Um. So I got a call as I was taking a shower. Um, obviously, I didn't answer because I was in the shower, but I called. It was from my aunt, and I called her back um, right after I got out of the shower. Different aunt than the one that had surgery last week. Different okay. side of the family. Okay. And apparently, my mother hadn't been telling me any of this, um, so I'm glad my aunt reached out. But I went two weeks ago with Shelby. We went and saw my grandparents, mm -hmm. and they... My grandparents, uh, my grandfather's 89 and my grandmother's like 84, 85. Um, 
And she told me she had fallen that morning and he had helped her up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, she was, she uh. was doing fine, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, my aunt called me and told me that she fell. I knew that. And that apparently helping her up really took a lot out of him. And that a couple days later, he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom tripped over a rug and fell and hit his head. Oh, um, And he hasn't been right since. Um, oh, no. He's, like, shaking. He's confused. He Sometimes he thinks he's not alive. Sometimes he thinks he's... Uh, he thinks he's dead. He talks about wanting to be dead. He talks about not wanting to eat. He hasn't really eaten much. He... <laughs> Uh, for a frail old man, um, both of them are frail as can be. There, uh, apparently, he like was violently rampaging around the house, ripping phones out of the walls and off the thing one night, and like apparently did some other things that you know. He, he, he I'm not going to get too much into detail. Just suffice to say, he isn't in his right mind. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since he fell and hit his head and he wasn't taking his medicine and so she called me and I was like well I, I gotta go This, you know I got something to do at 10 o'clock I'll be there after that so I went out there and it was pretty rough uh, it was a pretty rough situation frankly um, I think he's lost the will to live whatever uh, whether I uh, you know I don't know whether it's the Head hitting has knocked him senseless or or what exactly it's done, but you know, it kind of sounds like he's just lost the will to live. Um he's got a CT scan tomorrow morning, so we'll see what happens with that. But it was to the point where he wasn't strong enough to lift a cup of coffee. Um, so I was having to like lift the coffee so he could drink it. I finally got him to take his pills or some of some of his pills, mainly his blood pressure and his thyroid, but um yeah, so that kind of dominated Saturday. I was able to stay out there for most of the day, and 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 uh, my aunt had some stuff to do, and finally she came back, and I was able to come home, and I cut my grass, which is why I have a freaking headache today. I've been taking my allergy pills, but it never fails the second day. This time of year, I have a pounded headache, and I didn't, oh, excuse me, I didn't even think about it. So I did that, had... uh had some friends come over that are traveling to Europe. They were needing to borrow a suitcase and, and they borrowed one of mine and one of Shelby's suitcases. And we all went and got dinner, which was really fun and really nice. It was good to catch up. Um, and then, yeah, I just, uh, ran around and did a bunch of tax stuff last week for myself and for the business. And it was just, that was hectic. Um, apparently we missed a date that the IRS never freaking told us about you bastards. <laughs> um, yeah. So today was, we, we hung out at the bar shall we did a candle making class and I, I, um, caught up with a friend that I see occasionally when, when I'm at work, uh, when I'm on a specific job site and yeah, watched, we went to lunch with a different set of friends and watch the race today was my little bit of relaxing but i didn't even get to relax because my head's been pounding so 
it's just it's a whirlwind right now. I am so sorry. Um I'm really sorry about your uh grandfather. That's that's yeah. very scary. Um Well, I appreciate that. It it it's not uh maybe I don't want to sound insensitive like I don't want my grandfather to go, but I understand everybody has their time and you know, it's just it it, it it's really strange to see who he was 2 weeks ago and to see who he was yesterday. Yeah. Because it was only it was 2 weeks to the day. I mean, head trauma is no joke. Yep. So well, Hopefully even even if you hit your head and you think it's nothing, it's it might be worth going to the doctors. I mean, that's how Bob Bob Saget went. Yeah, I don't know what they ever found on him, but I know it was. I think from last I remember, I believe they confirmed confirmed it was like a concussion. Like he hit his head and went to sleep, and didn't wake up. Mm. There were no drugs in his system, or damn, um, that's scary. Yeah, so I, I knew a kid. Uh, he was my when I so when I went from middle school to high school we moved and so I knew nobody at my high school when I started in ninth grade and he was my he was the first kid that I became friends with um, he actually ended up dying three three nights not even three nights maybe it was two nights after graduation because he had a brain aneurysm in his sleep fucking hell yep so it was uh. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that got real morbid. Um, Yikes, I want to yeah. end on something good, potentially. Um, and I'm not going to get into details and make it super long or anything, but I got a call this week from my lawyer. And I can't say too much, but I'm just going to say that the ball is rolling. Okay, nice. In, in that situation. And I can say more off air, but I'm not going to say anything else on it. Okay. Well, that is good news. So. Yep. So, we'll see. All right. Good. Good. Well, eventful, crazy weeks. Yes. <laughs> Please. Hopefully, the, Please this upcoming let... week is nice and smooth sailing. Yeah, I still got to mow the backyard. I didn't get to that, and then I got to set that thing up. But the time's changed. I got more daylight, so maybe I can work on that one evening. But anyway, that's enough of my belly aching. We're here to do a show for you. Yes. So, let's move it on. Opening the bottle. All right. This week, we are drinking a very nifty uh, whiskey. Uh, This is a Jack Daniels Single Barrel Select. It is the Single Barrel Select, but if you can see, if you're on YouTube here, you see it's got this cool little like dog tag on the top there. And it is it says the North Carolina Bourbon Society and has their logo on there. Um I was out actually. Uh, I just realized this. I picked this up. Oh no, I didn't pick it up the day we saw my grandparents two weeks ago. I picked it up the day we dropped our taxes off out there. Hmm. Um anyway, there's a ABC store out there and it's the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I was going to say bumfuck Egypt, but <laughs> I figured I might could find something kind of nice out there that 
I can't find in Charlotte with all the hunters. And lo and behold, um, I wouldn't particularly say this is what I had in mind when I walked in there, but they didn't have what I was looking for. And I saw this and said, this is really, I've heard it's really good. And a bourbon society selected this bottle. So how bad can it, that be too? So, uh, MSRP on it was like uh, 50 bucks. So not too bad. So, and it's got a lovely color to it, by the way. It does. I actually posted a picture of this on Insta, on my Instagram, uh, which is, uh, whiskey.tyler. Um, we'll have to repost, uh, to the podcast Instagram. Yes. For all you guys to check out as well. If you don't follow Tyler. Yes. Um, so we have done a Jack Daniels before, um, on our 4th of July special last year. Um, but it was, uh, being a special, I think we, we did not rate those. We just, yeah, we just, we, we compared them to one another. Yes. So we are, you should go back and listen to our 4th of July special. Me and Tyler end up, uh, getting nice and, uh, drunk in it because we compare like the top five common, I guess, whiskeys, the things you think of when you hear whiskey, if you're not a uh, connoisseur. So we did Jack, Crown. Um, Jim Beam, uh, Evan Williams, and Makers, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't remember what the fifth one was. So, um, obviously, if you go online, there is a gazillion million things on the history of Jack Daniels. Um, this is something that, you know, there are whole books devoted to. There's full, like, two-hour documentary stuff devoted to, like, um, Jack Daniels is not a mom-and-pop-run distillery anymore. <laughs> well, there's so many that are their own, you know, like... Buffalo Trace might own, you know, Sazerac. You know, Buffalo Trace owns E.H. Taylor and so many other Blantons. It's all under one umbrella, even if it doesn't necessarily. And Jack Daniels is another one of those. They have their share of, I don't, I don't want to call them subsidies, but, you know, brands under their umbrella. Right. Um, I can tell you that Jack Daniels was founded by a name name a man named Jasper Newton Daniel, more commonly known as Jack. Uh, Jack uh, Daniel was the youngest of ten children, um, and he did not get along with his uh, stepmother at all. Um, as his mother died shortly after he was born, his dad remarried. Um, Jack did not like his stepmother. And so when his father died in the civil war, uh, Jack Daniel ran away from home as a, it doesn't say exactly his age, but at a young age, he ran away from home and basically never went back. Um, he was taken in by a preacher named Dan call, uh, who was a moonshine distiller. And he began to learn how to distill alcohol from, uh, call and his master distiller, Nathan Green, known as Nearest, who should probably be a topic all on their own. 
because Nearest Green should probably sound familiar to you guys. Uh, he was an enslaved uh, black man, and uh, he basically really, truly is the reason Jack Daniels and 90%, if not more, uh, he is the reason why whiskey exists. Um, like, he's... We've done an Uncle Nearest. Yes, that episode is... Episode 31, I assume. Yes, that guy. is... Yes, his whiskey. Um, And when... uh. Emancipation happened. Nearest Green did decide to continue to work with Cal um, and uh, Daniel um, at the same time. So the origin of old number seven, which is the brand name for Jack Daniels, was the number assigned to Daniels Distillery during government registration. Um. And like I said, I can literally spend the entire Wonder segment talking about Jack Daniels. Maybe one day we'll do it as a Wonder segment. I definitely want to do Nearest Green as a Wonder segment one day. Um, but I'm not going to get super into it other than, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of Jack history. All right. Well, like I said earlier, this is, uh, it was $50 MSRP. I believe that's about the same for the single barrel select the regular Jack Daniels, not a specific store slash group pick. Um, we just got lucky with this one. I don't expect you'll be able to find this anywhere unless that it's that specific ABC store. Um, because I believe I was reading on their website that that ABC store specifically approached the North Carolina bourbon society and asked them to hand pick a barrel. So this is a single barrel. This is something that came out of one barrel that they cannot replicate exactly. So for that reason, it probably won't make the uh, the final year-end. Uh, it'll probably be one of those we have to leave out. So I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, see how much gets drank. So I've been smelling it. Um, there is a shocking amount of banana uh, when you smell this. Um, it, it smells like banana bread. That yeah. is the strangest smell I've ever gotten from a whiskey, and it smells like banana bread. There's no denying it, no way, you know, there's... It yeah, it smells like banana bread. It um, has a sweet, uh, sweet connotation, or maybe not connotation, not the right word, but a sweet, uh, component. There we go. That's a better word. Right, that hits me full frontal on the nose, and then that gives way to the banana, you know, flavor. Um, I have smelt this, and I'll be the first one to tell you. I texted Megan afterwards and said, it smells like bananas. <laughs> so we both knew that coming in. Um, Without a doubt. So uh, banana bread, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint anything else because I'm so like shocked by the banana. Um, it's, yeah. oh, it's a very sweet smelling whiskey. Um, not really getting any spice or, um, 
wood or you know anything else. It's just very sweet and very um I mean very freaking banana y. I can't I mean I don't even I wouldn't even call it banana y. It smells like banana bread. Like that has a specific like not overly banana smell, and that is what this smells like. It's not like you've just dropped a Laffy Taffy in front of you and you get that banana smell. It's it's like you just cut a piece of fresh banana bread in front of you. Yeah. Um, I do want to give a couple details really quickly. Um, this particular barrel is number 21, uh, I'm sorry, 217943, and it was barreled on May 19th, 2016 and was bottled on October in October of 2021. So the proof is 94. And I can even tell you the mash bill was 80% corn, 12% malted barley, and 8% rye. Thank you, NC Bourbon Society, for keeping those details. Yeah, very nice. Whereas, yeah. uh, I don't know if I'm looking at the right whiskey then. I found uh, it. There you go. Found it. All right. There are two Jack Daniels <laughs> barrel proof on this website. So uh, Yeah, one's... Okay. They, the, yeah, they have their, um, if you go on the North Carolina Bourbon Society's website, they have um, their their picks that they've done for various places by year, and this was done in, obviously, 2021. Um, and they've already started their 2022 picks, so I'll have to keep my eye out for... For sure, to look for those. For those. Look for those bottles. Um. I have not tasted it yet, but uh, we haven't even given... Okay, so uh, of course I haven't tasted it yet because I haven't told you what we're supposed to be smelling. Well, according to the North Carolina Bourbon Society, we should be smelling banana bread, caramel, and light oak. So, I mean, we're definitely getting the banana bread. Um, yes, and I, I, you know, like I said, there was a sweet, uh, uh, I guess, caramel. I, I kind of chalked it more up to vanilla, but... It, you know, is, they say it's caramel. I say vanilla. Pretty similar. Whoa. Um, so the finish is what I want to talk about first because the finish um, literally leaves the taste of banana candy. Um, it's the same taste in my mouth I get after I've had like a banana Laffy Taffy or yep. a Runt's banana or or artificial candy flavor banana is what that aftertaste is and it's um very jarring i guess not unwelcome but uh not what you expect not yeah from not a whiskey not what you think you're gonna get when you get a whiskey so wow i'm gonna have to take another sip to experience more than just that that finish but that finish just i like blew my mind just fucking so banana on the first sip um while Megan takes another one, I definitely noticed a pepper, a spice in there. Uh, it was not a, not like a wintergreen or a mint spice. It was like a peppery spice. Um, and it is in the mid range and dies down, but it, it kind of is like a, like a quick up and then it dives, but then it slowly levels off and it lingers for a little while. Um, so I do note that there's a, a mild spice to it that does hang around. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, everything Tyler just said. Um, definitely a peppery, but not not quite a black pepper. It's softer than a black pepper. Um, but I uh, um, on a second tasting. Keep in mind, this is only what I say ninety four proof. On a second sip, it was not nearly not nearly as peppery. As peppery. And that's what you come to expect when you drink and it you Yeah. You get used to it. Um, it should be good. I don't think that came through. Okay. Just I just punched the, the mic. Yep. <laughs> like full on punched the bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I and I think I get a little bit of like an earthy flavor of some sort on the uh, I don't I get it honestly after I would call the finish on this very long. Yes, I lingering. Would, I would even say the finish can be broken into two halves. The front half of the finish is banana, that banana flavor, and you'll still taste it in your mouth. That that lasts for the first 10, 15 seconds, and then the next 45 seconds are dominated by an earthy, earthy finish, kind of woody. I even... Even at the like the forty five second mark, I still get the banana. I can't yeah. get rid of the banana. Okay. Um, it's not hanging around that much. It me. it doesn't become like at first. It is like a the forefront like slap of your face, but it always is there. So it like it calms down, and there's I taste the banana riding as you get more of the um, other flavors coming through at the finish. You're saying oaky or woody. Um, I don't know it if I agree with that. I'm getting more um, not quite a wood. I don't know if it's more of like a grain, like a wheat or something. I'm getting, but I'm not quite getting wood. Okay, I so. yeah, I definitely think it's it's an earthy flavor. Um. You know, and it's not not a leathery. It, it, I would describe it more woody. So, yeah, not leathery, but what's between leather and wood? Uh, softer wood. I I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting. Then I'm getting softer wood. <laughs> Soft wood, not hardwood. Um, I I forgot to mention before the finish. Um, as the liquid is actually in your mouth. Um, you have that initial pepper, um, and then it is very, very, very sweet, um, sweet, like just caramel, like just ice cream syrup caramel, um, and a little bit of banana, but the banana, in my opinion, really comes out there at the finish. Okay. Well. Well, we are supposed to be tasting... Sweet Werther's candies, which are the caramel candies, right? The hard caramel candies? No, I thought they were butterscotch. Are they butterscotch? Yeah, they're butterscotch. I just oh, well. <laughs> I ate a bunch of those yesterday at my grandparents' house. It's always, oh, grandparents always have Werther's candies. Oh, they do. I owe them so many because I was nervous and... <laughs> you eat when you're nervous. Ch- chowing them down like I was sucking them down like they were water and I was in a desert. Ah, uh, I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, so Sweet Werther's... Werther's candies and dried banana. The finish is oak, banana, and uh, white pepper, according to this. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to sip on this as time goes. I didn't get a water because I'm a dumb person, so I don't have any water for later, but you'll... Uh, Ooh, I thought to. you got up and went and got a water. Yeah, I literally stood up, walked out into the hallway, forgot what I was doing, and came back. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. it happens to the best of us. <laughs> and it wasn't until I saw your water as we were recording, I was like, oh, that's why I left. Well, all right, we'll sip on this and we'll uh, we'll... Let you know, I think we we are in uh, a lot of agreement with what the North Carolina Bourbon Society tastes as well. So, yeah, for the most part, we can't be doing half bad. It's time for the wonder segment. All right, my friends, it is my week, and this week, buckle up, friends, because we are going to learn about something. The United States Armed Forces call broken arrows. But these aren't archery projectiles that have cracked and split. No, this is something so much worse. The military has several code words they use when referring to a nuclear incident. Each term denotes the severity of the incident to make communication more streamlined. Though we aren't going to get into the specifics of all the terms today, I want to briefly mention them. So first, there's bent spear, which refers to an incident where there was a breach in either security or handling of a nuclear weapon. For example, at one point, the United States Air Force left six nukes on a B-52 bomber on the ramp just for nine hours undetected. They've got them on the plane. Safe. Whoopsies. An empty quiver is more concerning because it involves the theft, seizure, or loss of a nuclear weapon. A dull sword is a minor incident that involves nuclear weapons or systems that affect their ability to be deployed. A faded giant, which involves nuclear reactors or other radiological incidents that don't involve nuclear weapons. A nuke flash, which is a giant issue. Nuke flashes are the incidents that could lead to nuclear war and total annihilation. And finally, a broken arrow, which is a nuclear incident that won't cause a war. These can be accidental detonations or explosions, the burning of a nuclear weapon, losing a nuclear weapon in transit, some sort of radioactive contamination, or a real or implied public hazard. And that brings us to our wonder segment today. Since 1950, there have been 32 recorded broken arrows. At least six of them have been the loss of nuclear weapons. And those are the ones that have been declassified, for the most part. We'll get to one that still is very much classified about it still. I think I know about two of these, so I'm interested. Okay. So, on February 13th of 1950, less than five years after the first ever nuclear bomb detonation, the U.S. lost a nuclear weapon for the first time. A B-36 bomber was flying from Alaska to Texas in a mock nuclear strike against the Soviet Union. Midway through the flight, the engine began experiencing trouble. The plane stuttered so hard that the crew decided landing would be an impossible task. 
so they jettisoned the craft somewhere over the Pacific. Luckily, in a way, the mock-up bomb was only filled with TNT and uranium and no plutonium, so a nuclear explosion would be impossible, but still the uranium has never been recovered. Six years later, on March 10th of 1956, a Boeing B-47 was carrying two nuclear capsules from the MacDill Air Force Base in Florida to Morocco. It was scheduled to refuel in the Mediterranean Sea, but never made contact. Both the plane and the capsules were never seen again. In the early hours of February 5th, 1958, a B-47 bomber with a 7,500-pound Mark 15 nuclear bomb on board accidentally collided with an F-86 aircraft during a simulated combat mission. The bomber was severely damaged, but attempted to land several times to no avail. Eventually, they made the decision to jettison the bomb into the mouth of the Savannah River, near Savannah, Georgia, to make landing possible. This made it so that they were able to land the plane safely, but the nuke has been lost ever since. They were never able to retrieve it, and the Savannah River took it away, and who knows where it is now. That was one I knew about. That is a full Mark 15 nuclear bomb that's just gone. Poof. Yeah. It made its way to Cuba. (laughs) Don't know, God, that would not, well, that's not necessary. All right. It was around midnight on January 24th, 1961, when the sleepy town of Goldsboro, North Carolina, received quite the awakening. The small Air Force base built there, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, was an airfield participating in Operation Chrome Dome a Cold War doomsday plan that kept several B-52 bombers in the air supplied with two nuclear bombs for 20 hours straight, 365 days a year. The planes were called buffs, big, ugly, fat fucks by the airmen, and they guzzled gas. Gotta love the creativity of the military there. (laughs) Amazing. They had to be refueled several times during each mission. Buffs that took off from the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base would fly to North Carolina's coast, do a few training loops, fly across the Atlantic to the Azores, and then circle back. It was nearing midnight when Captain Walter Kulik and his crew noticed that they were losing fuel. And then the plane started having electrical problems. Air Control ordered Captain Tulak to come back to Goldsboro And after resisting to try to burn off some fuel for a safer landing, he complied. 5,000 feet in the air and only 15 miles from the base, the B-52 bomber literally began to fall apart in the air. The next part I'm taking directly from Bill Newcott, a journalist from the History Channel. Quote, Tulik had the B-52 lined up to land on runway 26 but suddenly the plane started veering off to the right toward the hamlet of Pharaoh, says Joel Dobson, author of the definitive book on the crash, The Goldsboro Broken Arrow. Then it started rolling over and tearing apart. A few weeks before, the Air Force and the plane builder, Boeing, 
had realized that a recent modification fitting the B-52 wings with fuel bladders could cause the wings to tear off. Tullock's plane was scheduled for a refit to resolve the problem, but it would come too late. He knew his plane was doomed, so he hit the bail-out alarm. Of the eight airmen aboard the B-52, six sat in ejection seats. Adam Maddox, the third pilot, was assigned a regular jump seat in the cockpit. The youngest man on board, 27-year-old Maddox, was also an Air Force rarity, an African-American jet fighter pilot reassigned to B-52 duty as Operation Chrome Dome got into full swing. At this moment, it looked like the chance assignment would be his death warrant. Basically, Maddox was a dead man, Dobson says. His only chance was to somehow pull himself through a cockpit window after the two other pilots had ejected. He was a very religious man, Dobson says. He told me he just looked around and said, Well, God, if it's my time, so be it. But here goes. It was a surreal moment. The B-52's forward speed was nearly zero, but the plane had not yet started falling. It was as if Maddox and the plane were, for a moment, suspended in midair. He seized on that moment to hurl himself into the abyss, leaping as far from the B-52 as he could. He pulled his parachute ripcord. At first, it didn't deploy, perhaps because his airspeed was so low. But as he began falling in earnest, the welcome sight of an air-filled canopy billowed in the night sky above him. Maddox prayed, thank you, God, says Dobson. Then the plane exploded in midair and collapsed his chute. Now, what in the hell just happened? Two hours later. (laughs) You've been waiting for an excuse to use that one. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, Well, I've been thinking of reasons to use it. Like, you know, pausing so that someone can get some water. Oh, <laughs> I don't have any water. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Fucking hell. This is, this mouse wheel is like so sensitive. You touch it just a little and it goes, Fnow. I feel like you can adjust that in the settings. I don't know. I might be able to. Now, Maddox was just another piece of falling debris from the disintegrating B-52. Somehow, a stream of air slipped into the fluttering chute and it reinflated. Maddox was once more floating towards the earth. Looking up at that gently bobbing chute, Maddox again whispered, Thank you, God. Then he looked down. He was heading straight for the burning wreckage of the B-52. Well, Lord, he said out loud, if this is the way it's going to end, so be it. Here I come. Then a gust of wind, or perhaps an updraft from the flames below, nudged him to the south. He landed, unhurt, away from the main crash site. After one last murmur of thanks, Maddox headed for a nearby farmhouse and hitched a ride back to the Air Force Base. Standing at the front gate, in a tattered flight suit, still holding his his bundled parachute in his arms, Maddox told the guards, He had just bailed from a crashing B-52. Faced with a disheveled African-American man cradling a parachute and telling a cockamamie story like that, the sentries did exactly what you might expect a pair of guards in 1961 rural North North Carolina to do. 
they arrested Maddox for stealing a parachute. Of the eight airmen aboard the B-52, five objected, five ejected, one whom didn't survive the landing, one failed to eject, and another in a jump seat similar to Maddox died in the crash. To this day, Adam Columbus Maddox, who died in 2018, remains the only aviator to bail out of a B-52 cockpit without an ejector seat and survive. Wow. <clears throat> but what exactly happened to the two nukes on board the buff? Well, the first one actually deployed its parachute and safely landed, tangled in a tree, and it was able to be retrieved. The second wasn't so lucky. It plunged into the earth at nearly the speed of sound, shattering and spreading debris for hundreds of feet in every direction. The government was able to retrieve the bomb, buried 180 feet into the ground. Disaster was avoided, thanks to the bomb's multiple safety features. But still to this day, remnants of the bomb are scattered all over the farmland in Goldsboro, and government permission is required before doing any digging. One little fact. I don't know if you're about to move on from Goldsboro or not, but mm -hmm. uh, for one of my previous jobs, there was a industrial facility there that we, uh, we provided consulting services for. I'll just say it that way. And uh, regularly, while we were around this industrial facility, we would see fighter jets flying over and doing their training missions and whatnot. And mm -hmm. So I actually had heard that story before. All right. Well, very cool. So we've gone over the two you know, right? Yes. I knew the Savannah and the Goldsboro. Okay. So I have... Uh two more to talk about. One I'm going to get fairly in-depth into if we have enough time. How are we looking on time? Uh, we're at 54 minutes. Okay, we got some time. Cool. On December 5th, 1965, a Skyhawk aircraft carrying a nuclear weapon rolled off the back of an aircraft carrier, the USS Ticonderoga. The pilot, plane, and bomb were never found. And it wasn't until 1989 that the U.S. government admitted to Japan that one of their nuclear weapons is floating around at the bottom of the sea, just 80 miles away from a Japanese island. Needless to say, Japan was pretty fucking pissed. Yeah, I get that. I also can't imagine how terrifying it would be being the pilot sitting in your airplane as it, it just goes and it starts you know going like i don't know i don't know if how i don't know what in the hell happened to the pilot ejecto cedo cuz <laughs> shoot that thing up at some point in spring of 1968 the us military lost some kind of nuclear weapon. The Pentagon still keeps information about the incident tightly under wraps. However, some have speculated that the incident refers to the nuclear-powered Scorpion submarine. In May, 
1968, the attack submarine went missing, along with its 99-strong crew in the Atlantic Ocean, after being sent on a secret mission to spy on the Soviet Navy. This, however, remains conjecture. <clears throat> in October 1967, the USS Scorpion began refresher training and received a new commanding officer, 36-year-old Francis A. Slattery, from West Paris, Maine. Slattery graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1954 and attended the Nuclear Power School in 1959. He was posted to nuclear submarines thereafter. The USS Scorpion was commissioned in July 1960. A new class of nuclear-powered submarines was developed to monitor Soviet submarines during the Cold War. They were smaller, thicker, and because they were nuclear-powered, they were capable of going further and on longer patrols. The Scorpion was 76 meters in length and capable of launching 90 torpedoes from six launch tubes. By the way, this is all from uh, journalist C.J. Clancy, um, is where I'm getting all this information on the USS Scorpion. Brother to Tom Clancy. Not, a, not really. Might well, be. <laughs> I mean, he might be, but I don't know. Don't take that. Don't take that seriously. <laughs> on the 15th of February, 1968, the Scorpion departed from its naval base in Norfolk, Virginia, for its Mediterranean deployment. On the 16th of May, 1968, the Scorpion dropped two crew off at a naval station in Spain due to health concerns and a family emergency. Scorpion subsequently set off for the Atlantic to monitor Soviet naval activity in the vicinity of the Azores. Azores. Hold on, did you just say subsequently? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> so Sub- think we could just, just yeah. squeak by that. <laughs> Subsequently. <laughs> Subsequently. Listen. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, kill me. Mm. It wouldn't be a Whiskey and Wonder episode without Mushmouth from one of us. It wouldn't be. You're welcome to all of our friends. At midnight, May 20th, 1968, the Scorpion spent an unusual amount of time attempting to send radio messages to Naval Station Rhoda. The communication only reached a naval base in Greece before being forwarded back to Com Sublent, the message center for the submarine force. The message was from Commander Slattery, stating that the Scorpion was closing in on the Soviet submarine. On the 27th of May, the Scorpion failed to return to base at Norfolk, Virginia. John Craven, chief scientist of the Navy's Special Project Division, was tasked with locating the submarine in the vast Atlantic. Ten days after the search commenced, the submarine and 99 crew were declared lost and presumed dead, and the incident was made classified. On the 30th of, of, of October... 1968, the Navy announced the Scorpion had been located 10,000 feet at the bottom of the Atlantic, 
400 miles southwest of the Azores. And in 1993, the Navy began to declassify the incident. In the 1960s, the U.S. military began creating a massive network of underwater microphones across the world's oceans in order to monitor Soviet naval fleet activity at the cost of $17 billion. Technicians were trained to distinguish between ships, whales, underwater volcanoes, and submarines. These technicians were able to locate the Scorpion's location by triangulating two signals off Newfoundland and a third from Europe. The Navy report concluded that the most probable scenario was a stray electrical current activated on board torpedo. Commander Slattery more than likely ordered the Scorpion to turn 180 degrees, which would have engaged a safety mechanism that would disarm the torpedo. The crew then ejected the torpedo, but it failed to disarm. The torpedo began to search for a target, and invariably, the Scorpion, being the only vessel in the vicinity, became the target. The Scorpion then attempted to outrun the torpedo, but it failed. What's most terrifying is the crew would have been able to hear the torpedo whizzing through the water, bringing certain death 400 to 500 meters below the sea. Navy, Navy Lieutenant Rob Saxton, or Saxon, who investigated the Scorpion wreckage in 1969, carried nine dives in total. Saxon found no evidence the Scorpion was struck by a torpedo. No por- No torpedo damage was found on the hull. The torpedo doors were shuttered closed, indicating that no torpedo was fired. In 1970, a different naval panel disavowed the torpedo theory. They concluded the Scorpion likely sank because of a mechanical failure which caused an irreparable leak that led to flooding and eventual sinking. In the mid-1990s, Stephen Johnson, an investigative journalist from the Houston Chronicle, obtained several thousand pages of documents through the Freedom of Information Act relating to the Scorpion's maintenance history. Johnson's discovered that the Scorpion had been selected in a secret program that drastically reduced the maintenance it would have ordinarily received. The Scorpion spent only eight months in its final overhaul, costing $3 million before the Mediterranean deployment. Typically, submarine overhauls were on average of 24 months in duration and costing roughly $23 million at the time. Before its final deployment, Petty Officer Dan Rogers transferred off the Scorpion, citing concerns about the safety of the submarine from inadequate maintenance. Stephen Johnson would discover more letters from the crew citing concerns about the condition of the Scorpion. After the incident was made declassified, more people began to come forward. An engineer at a torpedo testing lab contacted lead investigator John Craven about safety concerns regarding the Mark 37 torpedo prior to its introduction. Naval Ordnance had previously assured John Craven that there were no prior issues with torpedoes that it was impossible for a torpedo to explode on board. Investigative journalist Sherry Songtag and Christopher Drew uncovered that tests on the battery that powered the Mark 37 torpedo showed it was prone to overheating and occasionally caught fire. 
Engineers at a torpedo testing facility in Washington had warned naval ordnance about the possible onboard explosion being big enough to sink a submarine. Allegedly, naval ordnance completely ignored these concerns. Former radio men second class Mike Hannon, who was a communications specialist at submarine force headquarters at the time of the incident, claimed the USS Scorpion was sunk after a skirmish with a Russian submarine. Military reporter Ed Offley released a book supporting the theory of a Soviet submarine attack called Scorpion Down in 2007, that the incident was a cover-up by both American and Soviet officials to avoid conflict escalation. The official cause of the sinking of the USS Scorpion is unknown. The only people that know what happened for certain are 10,000 feet under the sea. Slatterly was survived by his wife Dorothy and two daughters, and a son. His parents, William and Doris, passed away in 2001. The Navy subsequently scrapped the cost-cutting maintenance program after the loss of the Scorpion and its crew. The Mark 37 was re-engineered, and the Navy hasn't lost a nuclear-powered submarine since. So... There is currently a nuclear-powered submarine sitting at the bottom of the ocean. Um, the Atlantic. The Atlantic. And that is uh, one of our broken arrows. Um, and the one that tends, at least from what I saw online, it definitely has the most debate. and People get heated, as they do online about most things, but they get heated arguing about what caused the scorpion to go down. So I don't know. Um, I think most likely what I believe is that the cutting back on the maintenance uh, was a mistake. And somehow that led to something happening that caused it to sink, whether it was a fire or some sort of leak or something. In other words, the government tried to get cheap. I, I, I... Personally, 100 believe that is what happened. I think the government tried to get cheap, and it cost the life of 99 people. Well, if I know anything about the government, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. So, I don't agree with the Soviets and the Americans got into a fight and then cu covered it up together. That seems counterintuitive no. during the Cold War time when... Yeah, they would each be claiming victory. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, uh, that was really interesting. Um, I did know about two of those. Um, I didn't know enough detail about the Goldsboro one, though, so that was a pretty cool little story. Nice, nice. I'm glad I taught you something today. Um, yeah, and actually... You made a very valid point. I thought that uh, in that last bit, you were talking about the U.S. military was trying to put um, microphones, essentially essentially a network of microphones throughout the ocean. That, that was very interesting, um, and it kind of ties in with today's trivia nugget. So Ooh. we're going to move it on. Trivia with Tyler.
All right, so sperm whales click loud enough to hear each other from thousands of miles away. Some researchers believe this is how they can communicate with each other from opposite sides of the planet. And if you're close enough, the vibrations can even paralyze or vibrate you to death. Holy fuck. So don't fuck with the sperm whale. Don't get too close to them. Wow. The, you can vibrate to death from there. Apparently, it probably, probably vibrates you and break your brain stem or something. Jesus. Yep. Send wow. a rib through your heart or something like that. One more reason not to go in the ocean. Yeah. Don't uh, don't get too close to the whales, white people. <laughs> I, I can say that because I'm a white person that's been close to whales. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, we don't have any mail time this week, guys, so we'll just jump into the final thoughts. Final thoughts. All right. Well, I mean, I've been presenting, so I haven't gotten to really sit back and enjoy this one. So, uh, I don't know, Tyler. What do you, uh, what are you thinking? I just saw you put water in it, so you haven't tried it with water yet. Correct. Um. um here, I'm gonna oh. let you let you use my water. Thank you. Appreciate. Now I get to drink water with Megan's fingers. Megan cooties. Yep. You enjoy them cooties. Uh so give me a minute here. So let me let me there might be a little silence here. Let me sniff and and um uh, drink this with some water. Okay, you go ahead. Um as you drink, I'll fill airtime and then you can do maybe the same for me. Um normally we would talk off air about what we want today's episode to be called. Um and I don't know if we should call this Broken Arrows or Lost Nuclear Bombs um, or something totally different today. Or, I don't know. I like Lost Nuclear Bombs because it's more... More eye-catching. Eye-grabbing. No one knows what a Broken yeah. Arrow is. Yeah. So I'm thinking Lost Nuclear Bombs uh, would probably be the way to go. Um or lost nuclear weapons maybe is better than bombs because the scorpion is a submarine, not a not a bomb in itself. So hmm. I don't feel like it changed a ton with the water. It made the the, the spice a little more pronounced. Yeah, a little um, more in your face. It made the banana a little less um there. Yeah. You replaced the banana with some pepper. Yeah. That that is 100% that's about what all happened. It did. Um so all in all, uh <clears throat> again, like I said early on, this is a specific single barrel. I gave the barrel number Early on, uh, I don't have it in front of me anymore. Um, so unless you go to a specific ABC store in North Carolina, which you can find on the North Carolina Bourbon Society's website, uh, under this pick, which is uh, number 18 for 2021, you probably are not going to be able to get this. Have you shot it? 
No. Um, this is a really good shooter, in my opinion. Um, it was a really smooth shooter with not a lot of burn, like, but, um, I really enjoy the sensation of shooting this one back, so. Yeah. I'm gonna call it a shooter. It wasn't bad. I've, uh, I'm, I'm glad you got to press that one because I, I did not want to, um, you disagree? Um, uh, I, I'm going to preface this by saying whiskey and any alcohol is best served the way you like to drink it. I don't like to shoot whiskey. I think whiskey is worth sipping and tasting. So because of that, I don't even like describing something. I, I, I try not to even shoot things anymore. So, um, but I did do it there to humor you and well, it was smooth. It was very good. I, but something like this, I wouldn't, I would want to sip on. Okay. Fair. So, fair. I do enjoy the banana. I would like that to hang out some more. So I probably wouldn't like intentionally shoot it, but. Um, definitely, definitely enjoyed the banana. I honestly, I think I enjoy, as weird as this is going to sound, and I want to make it clear, I do enjoy this whiskey. I enjoy the smell of it even more than I enjoy the taste. That smells like banana bread, and I'm a weirdo. Banana bread's eh, but the smell of banana bread is just that unique smell that I just adore that smell. It, it. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily take me back to a time and place, but it's it's just a great smell. Um, so, um, I'm gonna go with did did what? Oh, you're gonna hit the button. Don't hit the button. I'm thinking. Um, I'm debating in my head between a couple numbers here. She was about to hit me with that two hours later. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. And I'm, and I'll explain that I debated between an eight and a seven and a half. And the reason I, I'm giving it an extra half a point for its uniqueness Okay. Because I have never tasted banana or smelt banana, smelled banana in another uh, whiskey or bourbon. So that to me is very unique, and I am glad I have this bottle. I will, I will share this uh, with my folks that I share it with, um, and then I will probably tuck this in the back of my cabinet and occasionally break it out to sniff it. <laughs> Just randomly smell it. Um, well, I both love the smell and taste of banana bread. So if I had this whiskey, I would not, um, simply take it out to smell it. I would drink it. Oh no, I'm, I'm definitely, it'll come out to drink. <laughs> it's just going to be pretty, there's other things I would pull out because I don't want this to go away. This is a one-time deal. That's true. I have not had the regular single barrel, so I don't know how 
how it compares. We'll do that on here one day. It's been on my list. Um, I just saw this specific store pick, and all right, I said, "Fuck yeah, bro!" Yeah, all right, fuck yeah, bro. Uh, kind of describes this whiskey uh, overall. Um, it's very good. If you can happen to find it, pick it up. Uh, it's worth it. Um, definitely for the experience. Um, and I, I imagine most Jack Daniels single barrel select is going to taste pretty similar. So hopefully they all are banana. Yep. Cause that's, well, we'll find out one day. Yeah. That's really unique. I really like that. Um, well, I was debating between an eight and a nine. And I think I like where you went, where you gave him a half point just for uniqueness. I think I'll do the same thing. So I'm going to go with an eight and a half. All right. Right right in the middle between my two thoughts. Again, another week we've been in lockstep. Very, very similar. That's that's going back like almost uh, seven to ten weeks now. We've been been pretty. Neck and neck. neck Very agreeable. Yeah, very agreeable. So, um, well. Folks, I reckon that's going to do it. Um, Check us out on all the social medias. All that stuff's in the description. Check us out on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and do all that good good stuff that helps support us and keeps us going, keeps us getting cool cool stuff like this for you and helps us keep the lights on, frankly. Yeah, Um, true that. As far as the business goes. Um, Yeah. All right, guys. Well... That being said, uh, we hope you have wonderful, easy weeks, and we thank you so much for everything you do for us. Um, Don't drink and drive. Cheers. (laughs) I'm leaving it because I hit the wrong button. You you, you, you startled me there. Let's. (laughs) I was not expecting it to be that quick. Oh, sorry. Okay, let's try this again. All right. (laughs) Are you ready to press it this time? Uh, Yeah, I'm good. All right. Don't drink and drive. Cheers. Ejecto-cito, cuz...